You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about love forever changes in the room i have rob Hello. ben Hello. and adam yeah. forever changes is the third studio album by the american psychedelic rock band love released november 1st 1967 by electro records it was produced by arthur lee and bruce botnick the genre is folk rock psychedelic folk baroque pop psychedelic pop psychedelic rock you know any of those although it was a flop upon its initial release love's forever changes has since become a classic of the West Coast psychedelic scene. Love's talents of Hollywood Brian McLean and folk beat rebel Arthur Lee were seen as moody outsiders to the LA peace and love community, known for their insulary and rather edgy image. By 1967, after two albums, the band was holed up in Bella Lugosi's mansion in the grip of acid-fried oh. <laughs> egotism. And early heroin addiction. Forever Changes ignores the brash electric guitar sounds of the late 60s rock, opting for acoustic guitar textures and subtle orchestrations with strings and horns both reinforcing and punctuating the melodies. The melodies are beautiful at times but can shift moods in a single measure becoming sinister as a bad drug trip, reflecting Lee's own skepticism with the flower power movement. The lyrics are just as compelling with surreal imagery, just like a house is not a motel with words, the waters turn to blood, and if you don't think so, go turn on the tub, and it's mixed with mud. Forever Changes is inarguably love's masterpiece and an album of enduring beauty, but it's also one of the few major works of its era that saw the dark clouds looming on cultural horizon, and the result was music that was as persistent as it was compelling. What did we think of Forever Changes? So refreshing. Yeah. Just like they got out. They're out of their like it's they're out of that sound that we've just been feeling like everybody's doing. This album's so good, dude. Yeah, I mean we've been. Yeah. This is definitely one of those records we knew. Yeah. It's so good, and it's like, it's like uh, they're at. It's like psychedelic realism, almost. Like it's definitely got those psychedelic sounds. Uh, Zappa was commenting on the psychedelic scene as an outsider looking in, and it's almost like like Arthur Lee in Love. Like they're folded into this scene, but they have the perspective to to also be commenting on the scene like it like parts of it are are just flowery psychedelic parts of it like like you said parts of it get get dark and introspective and it's it's cool it's like it's just adding i don't know some some like realism they bring a grit and darkness to the to the sound that just you don't 
every time that somebody is trying to do something like dark, it's always got this mystical kind of like before this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always sort of like wavy kind of feel. And this is like hammering. I yeah. mean, like when they get dark, you know, he it's, he has these like sardonic lines like uh, where, he'll, you know, he'll you made a great quote about the the tub one and then there's the the dye like mm-hmm. you know watch the flowers you know but like the point is, the point is it's just so it's so much weirder and more original and it's all over the place we listened when we listened to da capo before it was uh, you know it was getting they were developing their sound but this record just feels like they arrived mm mm-hmm. Yeah. I looked around online. I couldn't find out. How did they end up in Bella Lugosi's mansion? I don't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> Perfect. But I, I did also, I learned, so, you know, so they're, they're, they're hanging out in Bella Lugosi's mansion, which I now know is what they refer to as the castle, like the song The Castle from DiCapo, mm. and also the photo shoots from the first two records. Oh. Yeah. That's... Bella Lugosi's mansion. Yeah. Oh, those are the stones they like so much. Those are the stones they like so much. You know what? Okay, guys. So they're hanging out there, like you said, they're they're taking a little bit too much acid. Uh, they're early stage heroin abuse. Uh, and they go into the studio to record this, and the band's just not cutting it. And so Bruce, uh, Bruce Botnick, after like trying to work with him for... A short amount of time, uh, kind of a, as a power move, he just gets on the phone and he calls up uh, Hal Blaine, Carol Kay, Billy Strange, and Don Randy of the Wrecking Crew, and they come in and they lay down and Morgan and the Daily Planet in like two or three hours, and I'd never I'd never known that before, but now like listening back to him like with like now knowing that you can tell like that's Hal Blaine playing those those. Tasty tight drums, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's nothing psychedelic about those drum licks that he's playing at the end of the Daily Planet, but uh, it it put the fear of God in in the band because they realized how easy it would be for just like Arthur Lee and Bruce Botnick to just yeah you're out of the crank band. out this yeah. album with some studio guns, so uh, they 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 got their shit together and. Less acid, less heroin, more practicing. Yeah. And the rest of the album is them. But those two tracks, it's Arthur Lee singing and the Wrecking Crew playing. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd heard Arthur Lee was definitely a leader of of sorts. And he he kind of spearheaded a lot of the, the, you know, what what was to, to be love, ultimately, like this album. I was reading that he was in a garage rock band. Before this, the Sons of Adam, and then he saw the Birds perform, uh, and was like, "Oh, I want to like mix in some of this." And Brian McLean, who wrote some of the other songs, um, was actually a roadie for the Birds. Um, oh wow! And so he and he joined the band, and it's interesting because like Da Capo feels like it's got the um, that more influence a little more. And then this one, it's like they brought in some of the garage. Like mm-hmm. I mean, or I mean, the seven and uh, seven seven is is garagey, but like it's still the like poppy songs and still that that sort of like folk root, but with a bit more grit. And it's interesting because it, I think it just comes from trying like the, to do multiple. I feel like the arrangements somehow are they might be a little more complex, or they're just 
Definitely. They're, they're willing to go out there a little bit with the horns and, and uh, yeah. Well, just the, the basic chord progressions that yeah. happen through these songs are so much more complex yeah. than any of their contemporaries. Like, and oh, yeah. I, I got to imagine that, you know, even though I know you're not a huge Sgt. Pepper fan, I do feel like every every band knew that album, you know, like was out and, and it definitely had an influence of stretching mm-hmm. stretching out a little bit more trying to do these new overdubs these studio uh production uh, elements I found this record when, like, after, like, my one big girlfriend broke up with me. So it was, like, 20... You had one big girlfriend. <laughs> she, was, she wasn't that big. Uh, but, like, uh, I, I followed her down to Bloomington, and shit fell apart for a year and a half before she left me. And so it was just me, this record, entirely too much whiskey at 23, just languishing. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it got me through a very bad place. And this and Pulp, like, hands down, like, you know, both incredible. Anyways, but, yeah, this uh, yeah, th- this, this record, there's not a bad track on it. Like, nothing sounds bad. The, yeah, the string arrangements are rad. The fucking horns coming in are awesome. And, yeah, I don't know, uh, snot caked against my pants. <laughs> Turned to turn, crystal. Turn to crystal. <laughs> no. One of the best lyrics. <laughs> but he's about. not afraid to get a little dirty. Like, and that's I think that's what makes the lyrics more interesting for this record. I feel like we've been stuck in this era of all this like sort of like beautiful like drugs are amazing and like they're all like it's flowerier language. And he's playing music that could appeal to the same people, but darkening it up. And I just think like that content is just way more interesting to hear. After. Yeah, I think his lyrics are just more interesting. That's what all I mean. Is like, simple, yeah. yeah, it's just more interesting. They stick yeah. out. Yeah. And I guess with the uh, uh, on the drugs are amazing aspect, and this album kind of being like, oh god, maybe maybe this heroin isn't doing me <laughs> so good. Like, do you think a, a lot of the stuff that we're, like, experiencing in the 60s, like, leading up to this record is because there was, like, the 20-year-old constitution that was okay with a whole bunch of stuff, and then at a certain point of ingestion, things started to get darker and dip, mm. like, down? I think That's that a great people... Observation. Uh, yeah, I think that having the, the psychedelic movement, I think that y- you eventually, you know... When something's a little bit more new to people, I mean, there's always going to be people who take it too far, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have a lot more people, you're going to have a lot more people, people you know that might die or or get in these freak 
you know, freak out or mm-hmm. whatever. So, yeah, I think like a lot of this music was at first kind of being, you know, let's let's see how weird this music sounds when we're on LSD and weed and stuff. But now it's like, oh, people I know are in a dark place yeah, and yeah, they are not getting out. You're seeing people actually like suffering from an addiction for long yeah. periods of time. I mean, we're going to think about being a little bit older. It's going to be that Pink Floyd uh, sort of wish menta- you were here, yeah. mentality where it's like, oh, we've now lost Sid Barrett to LSD. He is gone. I mean, not to say that he probably didn't also have some mental problems, but... <laughs> he was a fucking blue <laughs> man. But, little but, column A, a little column Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're now seeing... Self-diagnosing, if you Yeah, will. you're now seeing the people uh, t- taking these drugs t- a little farther and and the effects of that. So uh, it makes sense that the music would also reflect the, mm-hmm. those I mean, ideas. There's a whole shit ton of And blame. Vietnam. Yeah. Let's not forget well, yeah, Vietnam. Vietnam was a problem. And there's a whole bunch of really bad records that happened in the 70s because of just, like, fucking, like, booze bloat or yeah. coke fingers or yeah. whatever other ailment came from, you know, the amount of excess. But, yeah, I, as far as, like, a... Uh, you know, a band like weather veining like the shit that was about to go down. This record is like beautiful. Yeah, spot on. Do you think like, we've been talking about uh, the much welcome added grit to the psychedelic sound? Do you think uh, any of that has to do with location? So much of what we've been hearing is from San Francisco, which you know is a big little town. Uh, uh, and this is L.A. now. Like, He's also... A couple of these guys are from Memphis. Also. Like, it, originally. Right. Like, and then moved out to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, just... It's... I mean, I guess a lot of people moved out to San Francisco, too. But, yeah. like, that's the classic. Was, I, I'm sure that, like... I don't know where in L.A. Love was based out of... Actually, Bella Lugosi's house would have been Hollywood. I assume so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just like that, that hate Ashbury scene just seemed. I hate Ashbury. In San Francisco, just seemed so idyllic, and and now like we're in L.A., which is a little harder, a man. little harder. It, maybe it's not a factor, but it's worth. I knowing. mean, that's why the monkeys sound so tough. That's why the monkeys <laughs> sound so tough. Yeah. T- that Burbank toughness. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Davy Jones with his little knife. Oh boy. Uh, a quick uh, tip. Does anybody know why the, uh, the the album's called Forever Changes? I do. It's a good one. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, title album came from a story that we'd heard about a f- friend of a friend who had broken up with his girlfriend. She exclaimed, you said you would love me forever. Uh-huh. He replied, well, forever changes. Uh-huh. We, we also <laughs> noted that since the name of the band was Love, the full title was actually Love Forever Changes. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great title, too. Um, and artwork. We were talking about the artwork before. Yeah, it's just the very, It's so cool. Very cool illustration of their faces in this sort of like psychedelic haze of... And it's right in the middle, which a lot of those... Um, you know, those psych records, it would be the full mm-hmm. out to the entire cover. And this one really puts it sort of a, I don't know, it's sort of like a modern art piece. because yeah, it, on it, a white it's, wall. It's on a white, yeah, yeah. it's a, like yeah. a white background. Yeah. And it has that great, I mean, they have a really cool little logo of the, 
It's got uh, personality. This, letters. They just they just uh, ooze personality and yeah. like the art direction, the you know songwriting, the production. It's just got a lot of personality, and that's why we're still listening to it fifty years later. Yeah, we were the talking re- the quality too, the recording quality. I oh, think sounds it, awesome. It's exceptional. Telling everyone about their games, and if you think it obsolete, then you go back across the street. Yeah. around this and what else had he done bruce botnick uh yeah. i don't know what else he's done look at him uh before we started recording we were we were talking about the the album art uh the artist uh bob pepper uh we looked him up and he did a lot so many of those like uh 60s and 70s sci-fi paperback art nice. like if you look up like the art of bob pepper it's just awesome stoner art. Yeah, just an astronaut kicking another astronaut There is the a, one of it. It's an Isaac Asimov book. I forget which book it is, oh. but the image is an astronaut kicking another astronaut in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Botnick. Uh, he had worked with the Doors, the Beach Boys, um, but it, not a lot, it seems like. He's just done... Uh, he did L.A. Woman, uh, and he was an assistant engineer on Let It Bleed with uh, Rolling Stones. Hmm. It's uh, always funny to see the records that like are not like the best credits that they have. That yeah. you're like maybe the acoustics in Bela Lugosi's <laughs> Ghost House <laughs> just were that good. It's just, he's got some oh. funny ones like Eddie Money. Both <laughs> Love and The Doors were Electra. Uh, is yeah. there a chance that Bruce Botnick was like a house guy? I don't think so because it says he took over production on The Doors L.A. Woman album. It's interesting. He actually engineered their first two albums loves first two albums and then co-produced the third album with arthur lee well he's got enough swing to be able to get hal blaine carol k billy strange and don randy there immediately yeah yeah money talks Uh, it does (laughs) especially to a session gun yeah (laughs) absolutely uh does anybody else love uh the uh, part in uh, maybe the people would be the times or between Clark and Hilldale, the horns. Yeah. The horns come in and it's, ah, it's, I just love it. Every single time it's that. It's so cool. Oh, it's like that super tight horn arrangement and yeah, it just makes me so happy. When you cut, when you cut to this song just now, I was, I was wondering if that was what you were yeah. going to showcase. Yeah. It's like, it's an immediate, like, it just grabs you. Yeah, they just, they've got some really good use of horns. And it's not something you hear at all coming out of this scene. Yeah. And it's like, 
you you hear strings, you hear a lot of you know guitars and vocal harmonies, but it's like boot on. <laughs> I read in uh, I read a quote from Arthur Lee that was saying when in the conceptual stages he was always picturing the strings and horns like from when he was like writing the songs in his head that they weren't just like added in the studio like he had they were gonna be part of it the whole time cool which you can hear you know yeah i mean they sound very natural yeah so just a little bit before you know this kind of came back right Uh, this wasn't initially a success and i feel like ever since um, for us, especially like the re- there was a re-release deluxe edition two that's, two CDs. That's what I have. Yeah, and I think it, it really saw a resurgence in uh, even a new generation. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a slow burn. Like people didn't instantly exactly. just re- recognize it. But well, if the other crap that we've in. been forced to listen to from the '60s is an indication, <laughs> people had no idea what the fuck they thought was good. All right. <laughs> I remember I got this record because uh, I went into Landlocked in Bloomington, the cool record store, and um, it was displayed out. And Heath would often recommend stuff that he thought I might like, um, and just be like, "Check this out! Like, just p- pick this up." And I trusted his opinion because he was often suggesting like cool stuff that was. I, I like a lot of like world music, and I like a lot of just like really unique groups that that kind of stick out. And so I bought like the special edition reissue because he had just gotten it in, was excited about it, and we played the hell out of this record. It's like it's just so nice. It it, it makes me miss uh, that like more common experience of going in the old record store and just knowing the proprietor and being like, "Cool, I'll just spend this eighteen dollars on this special edition CD and uh, take your word on it." Yeah, <laughs> it's it was a, it was really nice, and I never probably would have heard this or spent the time digging into it that I did. Well, you would have, because we would have listened to it. <laughs> okay, but like... You would have got your hair like blown 12, back 12 years later. later or something. I don't remember when that came out. Someone put uh, Alone Again or on some mixtape I got that mm. was given to me in my early 20s, and I liked that song enough to, to seek out uh, the album. That was my introduction to, to this record. Yeah, I think I was uh, I was staying... You guys know Trey... Uh, mm-hmm. I was when I was living with Trey, or uh, he was he was a big fan, and uh, yeah, we listened to it all all the time. Great album, anytime, summer or. Uh, do we even have to talk about if this is a four pl- positives, plus, right? Just listen plus, to this record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, this is one yeah. of the stronger ones to come out of this era. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, I think that's just that's a fair assessment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say that as well. Um, all right. Next time we'll be talking about Cream, uh, Disraeli Gears. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. And if you see and more again, then you will know and more again. For you can see you in her. And when you've given all you had And everything still turns out 
you feel your heart beating? Rum bum bum.